Layovers, your weekly dose of aviation innovation. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard from the flight deck, this is Paul Pabedimitria, and this is Alex Hunter. We'll be the pilots for this podcast about the news, the startups, and the technologies defining the modern air travel experience. Our flight time today, an hour and 25 minutes, and we expect an on-time arrival. Coming up on this flight, the US airlines present their first guidance report, how Sky Team Airlines use messaging apps for customer support, a new plane tracking system by Rockwell Collins, a Quantum 747 landed a very short runway for posterity, the Apple Watch and its promise for freaking travelers, and a look at private 747s in the skies today. As we reach our cruising altitude, I'm going to turn off the passenger seatbelt sign for you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, sit back, relax, and let's turn on those noise-canceling headphones. This is Layovers Flight 007 to Miami. Hi, Alex. Hey, good 007. morning. 007. We've been, all of the other episodes have just been waiting for this episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was, 007. I mean, we got one shot at this, but uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, this is the James Bond episode. It's also an episode that will be filled with a lot of interesting stories. Uh, the first of all, uh, we both wanted to... Um, you know, Harrison Ford, I mean, he never played James Bond, but he's a very big hero of other action movies. He had an accident last week. You saw that, right? He did, yeah. He uh, had an engine failure right after takeoff in Southern California and managed to quite expertly put it down on a golf course with no injuries to anybody, no damage to property. I mean, he bashed himself up pretty good. I think he broke his wrist and was quite, quite bloodied, but... Uh, this is an extremely experienced pilot doing a textbook emergency landing in a very, very difficult situation. So kudos to him. Yeah, it's pretty. It was pretty impressive, and apparently he's unhurt. I mean, he's okay. So that's a very, very good side of the story because we were a little bit worried. And uh, Alex and I are basically um, hoping that he will have a swift recovery. Yes, absolutely. He's a credit to the industry. He really is. Uh, moving to the news of the week, uh, the shaken and steering news of the week, because this, this saga is nice. never ending. It's going to be actually, uh, I think if you're going to have more episodes of the James Bond franchise at some point, this is still, and again, the, uh, US airlines versus the Gulf airlines. So have you seen the report? I mean, you know, that report that we've been talking about since the few episodes, you know, that apparently the report that says that, that, uh, exemplifies all the, the, the subsidies that the Gulf Airlines uh, are apparently getting is out. Have you have you seen it? Have you actually read the seventy pages? <laughs> I, I have not certainly not read the seventy pages, but I have read a lot of the editorial around it, and the gloves are off. They better be very confident about the data that they've provided. When I say they, I mean the the American airlines that have submitted this report about the Middle Eastern three airlines and the subsidies that they allegedly receive that is making the whole landscape. Uh, sort of anti-competitive. So uh, very quickly, I mean, uh, there's uh, we have a blog post on layovers.2, which has the numbers. Uh, there's also a, the a full report is embedded there in a PDF format if you want to peruse it. I've actually not read it in full either. I didn't want to go through, but uh, there's a one-pager that this, uh, this coalition, because now it's a coalition I've, I've, I've done, 
and uh, it goes through the the three uh, different types of uh, the sorry the three airlines and the different types of uh, subsidies are getting. And yes, we're reaching more than forty billion dollars. Uh, you can still see though that there's a, a slight difference between what they complain about Emirates on one side and Etihad and, and and Qatar on the other. You can still feel a slight difference there, right? Yeah, the tone is is very different in in each of these, which I think is interesting and telling and i think perhaps indicates some the sort of the level of relationship that they have with each other already before this yeah this correct. all kicked off uh the, the, there's an interesting quote there he says these careers are expected to grow capacity at more than three times the growth rate in global gdp between 2012 and 2020 so obviously this is what we you you and me have been saying i mean there's a little bit of fear there uh there, they're yes they're king Absolutely. There is fear. And I think that that statistic would have been used to, if it had been them to say, look how fast we're growing. We're growing faster than GDP. This is wonderful. The industry, blah, 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 blah. But yeah, so, um, so, and there's, so there's no, there's a, so that's the Fair Skies Coalition, uh, which also counts as members. The Fair the, Skies uh, Coalition. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Brand, Give me right? a break. It counts as members, the, you know, some unions or the Airline Pilots Association, et cetera, et cetera. So they, they launch a, a marketing campaign. Uh, there's another uh, group that's called Americans for Fair Skies. I mean, you know how it, that's lobbying. Basically, all these groups uh, suddenly pop up at the right time. They're all, it's a very well-orchestrated um, campaign. Uh, so you can actually follow if you uh, hashtag Fair Skies on Twitter, Facebook, et cetera. You can see a lot of those uh, sudden... Uh, you know, updates being uh, deployed in the past few days. So they're really going, uh, they're putting out the gloves. The Economist had written an, uh, an interesting article because they are, they are supporting a little bit that view that there's a, uh, clearly a market distortion in the Middle East. I'm not sure I completely agree. Uh, but one quote that I actually uh, that, that found uh, funny was the, uh, the president of U.S. Airways, Scott Kirby, uh, said, we just want to compete on a level playing field. That's the American way. What a strange thing to say. This is, a, I mean, that's such a strange thing to say. It's, it, this is not an American industry. And viewing it as such would bring the whole industry down, you know, in, in terms of quality. It's, I think they have massively massively underestimated the backlash that this is going to get. And I think we've started to see some ripples of that in the responses from some of the other American airlines who have basically said, what the heck are you guys doing? Do you have any idea the size of the fight that you're picking? This can only go badly and you're going to drag us down with you. Shut up. Yeah, actually, uh, so the uh, you're right. Um, so the, the the three airlines from the Gulf haven't officially uh, made any stance yet. Tim Clark, the CEO of Emirates, has basically promised that he will also hire a team of forensics of analysts, etc., to actually do a similar research on, on the American airlines and what kind of subsidies they are getting. Uh, so basically, this is where we're going to start seeing like a lot of stuff happening. And let's be honest, uh, there, the numbers, uh, so from the early days, basically, of, of flying until probably the 70s or the 80s, the U.S. government provided more than maybe 150 billion in subsidies, which in is aid for the airline, which is normal. I mean, every single airline, especially flag carriers, were started by governments. You know, so that it's it's just that the timing was much before compared to the ones in in the Gulf. So, I, and there's a lot to dig there, honestly. Yes, but, exactly. And 
they're going to go into this and they're going to buy the most expensive lawyers they can and they're going to they find all the things they need to pull this. And I, I'm not entirely sure what the U.S. carriers are expecting to get out of this. Are they going to say, oh, give the money back or <laughs> or what? I, do, I just – and if they if – just taken all the money that that they're going to spend on lobbying and everything like that, and invested it in the product and the service, they might actually be able to compete with the uh, with the Middle Eastern carriers. It's just so misguided. I really don't understand what they think the end game is going to be. Well, the end game is probably lobbying to the government because that's that's the thing. What's the I government mean, going to do though? I mean, the that, U- yeah, I mean the, the the Canadians are doing that. The Canadians are basically blocking the expansions by not giving slots to uh, to the Gulf Airlines. I mean, maybe the Americans could do that. What, I, what I'm trying to see here, I'm not taking sides in the, in the way of saying, okay, what the Americans should do, what the Gulf should do, is that the, the debate is a bit skewed because this is what I, I meant by reading that, that quote from Kirby, the American way, is that, yeah, of course, we want, everybody wants competition on a level uh, that is um, uh, fair. And I do, we all do agree with that. We, all bo- we both want a great product in terms of flying and we agree that we want to have some fair competition. The problem is when you start comparing countries and starting what is fair you have like the labor the labor rules in the u.s are totally different from the ones in europe which is totally different from the ones in singapore which are totally different from the ones in the gulf which are totally different from the one in africa i mean you can go on and on and on and on yeah at what time do you stop saying and saying what is fair and and sorry because i'm gonna rent a little bit it's not as if the american uh, airlines have never had any types of and I'm not going to use the term collusion because that's the one they're using against the Gulf Airlines. But with the government, I mean, if you look at just, you know, the rebates they're getting on, on, ta- on uh, jet fuel across most, almost a majority of the U.S. Uh, US states, it's, it amounts to more than a billion dollars. I know the very touchy subject here is 9-11. So 9-11, obviously, I was very myself affected by, by it. And it's true that the bailout that came after it, because let's call it what it is, a bailout, was... Probably fair, again, that term fair, what does he mean? But probably fair to actually not let all the airlines uh, die just after 9-11. But let's be honest, the airlines were already in a very bad shape before the attacks. They were already losing money. There are quotes, and I'm not going to go through now because I don't want to spend the entire show on it, but there are quotes that clearly display that they were having a lot of distress before the attacks. So having something, these kind of subsidies, where that was a form of subsidy, and then... When the airlines came back to profitability around 2006-7, a lot of the programs that were put in place to help the airlines after 9-11 are still in place Absolutely. to that day. I mean, you can see they offloaded most of the pension plans to, to, the, to the federal state in the U.S. So they're not basically... And, and we're talking about a huge amount of money. I think when... I think it was Delta... Uh, or United, I don't remember, but I'll, I'll find the notes for you. But when when Delta or United uh, uh, did their, their second bankruptcy was 2012, was it? Uh, they offloaded for an amount to eight billion dollars of pensions. We're talking, you know, so we see 40 billion on one side, but here we're also talking that suddenly they were externalizing part of the losses to the federal state. Uh, so do not let, I, I want this debate to be fair, again, that term, in a way that, you know, in, on every in every country, the U.S. included, there are ways, uh, there are ways where the government works with national airlines. It has always been the case. Yeah. Let's not believe that suddenly, you know, the competition on one side is a pure private private uh, thing, and the other side is a public thing. That's it's not true. It's just yeah. not true. And I think you're. After, I agree with absolutely everything you said. And I there's a telling silence from a certain 
region that makes this whole argument seem very strange. And I would argue that those most affected by the rise of the, of the Gulf carriers are those carriers in the past who relied on a hub model. Singapore Airlines, Thai, Cathay, who, especially Singapore Airlines, who relied on people transiting in from Singapore, into Singapore, and then off somewhere else. That was the a, a big part of their entire business model. And that has been chipped away. We talked about it in an earlier episode. You know, measurably chipped away over the last decade. And yet, they have not said a thing about this issue. Yet, and they have way more to lose than a U.S. carrier. And this is my opinion, what I'm about to say. But this is so typical of incumbent U.S. carriers trying to fight competition in the courts so they don't have to fight them on the playing fields. And I think now that I've kind of said that, the, the, uh, the thing that I think they're probably trying to get out of this is when the Middle Eastern three say, okay, well now we're going to fly London, New York, London, San Francisco, they can put a bunch of blocks in place to make sure that that doesn't happen and as opposed to just competing. Yeah, that's probably you. You're absolutely right. I think, but uh, yeah, just uh, the 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 example of the the, the bankruptcy in 2012 was obviously AA, sorry, American Airlines. Uh, but the, what are you uh, totally right is we're not hearing that much from the European carriers either. Lufthansa have said a little bit because I think one of the Middle Eastern carriers has gone after them specifically because they'd made comments about how you know unfair it is and all of that, but. You're right. For the most part, they haven't said much. Uh, in 2004, that's an interesting uh, tidbit of history. The, the 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 chairman of BA. I mean, we're talking 10 years ago, but still said uh, called U.S. carriers the Walking Dead, which had been, <laughs> and I'm quoting, which had been uh, forced to seek protections from the creditors are being uh, and being propped by the palliative care of Chapter 11. Oh goodness me! <laughs> the ch- the chief executives of BA the same the same year. Uh, uh, also complained about the uh, U.S. carriers having um, using Chapter 11 as form of state aid. What what I mean by here, by that is that again, what is fair? I mean, at the at the moment, it's true that some uh, of the airlines in in Europe, so Lufthansa, Air France, KLM Group, uh, and BA, we haven't heard them a, a lot about it. Are are also doing action against uh, the Gulf Airlines? I mean, they raise the issue to the European Commission, but it's. Still interesting how silent they are in actually, you know, um, siding with U.S. airlines. They will maybe side on a debate, but they will not side with U.S. airlines. We're still talking competition here. Yeah. Uh, which, by the way, same thing happened in Europe. I could list all the airlines got got out state hate here. I mean, Lufthansa is one with the pension plan, but there was lot Polish, Croatian Airlines, Serbia Jet, Montenegro Airlines, Air Malta, Latvia, SAS, Malev before it died, Cyprus Service before it died. Wow. There's a huge list also because the European Commission says... Uh, there's a um, uh, competition commission by the EU that's that it says that emergency support is acceptable. And what is it? Of course, then the definition of emergency support is a bit like, you know, variable. So that, that the same kind of thing exists. And of course, it's it's opening the Pandora's box here because every country will start to say, OK, what you did there is unfair. What you did there is unfair. And we're going to have this huge battle. So coming back to what you said, Alex, at the very beginning of, of that segment, and I'm sorry it's taking so long. It's true that. This fight, it's just only starting, and the more aggressive they are in the U.S., the more it will open 
a big kinds of worms. Yeah, I think that they are ultimately going to regret this. They'll lose. I think they're trying it with Norwegian. I think Norwegian are going to find a way around to this obstructionism. Uh, Yeah, this is going to go on until we're at episode 107. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, uh, you know, I don't think we'll we'll have finished it up by then, but... Boy, I think they've made a costly mistake by on by trying to do this. But it will be uh, to finish. It will be very interesting to see what Tim Clark comes up Emirates because he will do that task force just for the fun of it. Because we always say Emirates is always a, always a cool head in that yeah. debate, whereas Etihad and, and, and Qatar are not always. So Al yeah. Baker from Qatar Airways just uh, I mean he didn't comment on the report itself. But you know that uh, they, they, they're deploying their second A350 and they're again putting the three, that A350 to Frankfurt. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what he said in Berlin, which is a travel show, it said, uh, the new jet will be deployed on this route to rub salt in the wound of Lufthansa. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> uh, Etihad is actually launching... A380 with that residence, you know, that fantastic room to New York on December 1st. So also now very going really against going right into the backyard of some of these carriers. Yeah. And last comment, Lufthansa. And that's actually very smart. You know, Lufthansa will start uh, with Eurowings, you know, their their local subsidiary. They will start serving Dubai. And you know what's the starting price? 99.99 euros. Wow. That's a good answer, right? That's yep. competition. That is, yeah. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, moving on. We're still on Emirates. Uh, have you heard that uh, they want they still want the A380s Neos? Yeah, they can't seem to make up their mind about this, can they? Actually, it's funny. I went I went a little bit back into history. Last September, the Emirates said we want seventy Airbus. Uh, A380 NEOs. Uh, then in January at the World Economic Forum, the number increased to 100. And now last week, yeah. it's 200. I mean, they're really putting a lot of pressure on Airbus. That's on Airbus. That's and, a, and if you go to Airbus and say, we want this airplane, uh, we want 200 of these airplanes, you basically get to co-create that airplane, you know? So they can say, we need this Maximum takeoff weight. We need these improvements over the current model. We need this, 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 and this. Why? Because we're going to buy 200 of them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Interesting, interesting enough in, uh, uh, here, the, the, the chief executive of Airbus uh, actually said, uh, I think it was also last week, that the A380 uh, program is breaking even this year. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, Who real, said that? Real Airbus? Break-even. Yeah, uh, Tom Enders, so the chief exec from Airbus. Wow. Well, good for them. That's good. Yeah. That's very good. Yeah, it's good for them, yeah. So we uh, may see another breath of life into the A380 program. Yeah, probably so. Good. Uh, James Bond still, you know, in Tomorrow Never Dies, there's this, uh, the plot is about that uh, warship that is being untraceable in the Chinese waters. Uh and we come back to that untraceable plane that nobody can find. Yeah, so it's it's we've come up on a year since um, we lost Malaysian Airlines Flight 370, MH370. And as a result of that, as we talked about last week, there has been sort of more speculation and more analysis as we've reached this kind of this milestone in the search. Coinciding with that, a, a report by the Malaysian government, which was 700-something pages long that 
basically didn't really say. Did you did you read it? Any, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good good bedtime reading. Um, it didn't really say anything new. It didn't say anything new, and I think that that upset a lot of the families that there had yeah, been real, yeah, no yeah. no real progress. One of the little nuggets that came out of it that the press picked picked up on was the underwater. The battery for one of the underwater locator beacon had expired more than a year before the crash. And, of course, the press went crazy over this. It actually didn't mean a whole lot. It it just meant that the battery for the locator beacon on the flight data recorder had not been replaced perhaps when it should have, although there were many, many other functional and, uh, and, and unexpired locator beacons on the airplane, and no one is entirely sure if this contributed in any way to the plane not being able to be found so you know it's still it's a tragedy it's incredible that we have not found a single shred of anything that gives us an idea of where this airplane is but the 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 search continues i don't think that this battery thing is any more than a you know a piece of writing in a logbook that somebody overlooked i don't think there's anything there that's that's worth following but one day i hope we find this airplane yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Like, as we said last week, the uh, the one thing, though, that actually struck me, I didn't read the report either, but I went also reading about, you know, all the media coverage about it. Uh, and one thing that actually for me is important is that you remember when the, the plane uh, first disappeared, there was a lot of misguided communication by the Malaysian government. Yes. And this is, I think, what actually appears in that report. And certainly in that report, stuff that has, had been said before, like, oh, you know, the military radar never picked it up. And then they said, oh, actually, the military radar picked it up. And they said, oh, the military radar so didn't see a plane turning back. Oh, the military radar saw the plane turning back, et cetera, et cetera. In that report, you can see that they knew, a lot of the stuff that they suddenly said they knew three weeks later, they knew it from the get-go. And this is, uh, I don't know if, it's going to change anything, but at least we realize that there was really a, a, a sadly so, a little bit of, of, of a misguided communication. And uh, prob- I don't, I'm not going to use because a lot of conspiracy theorists talk, talk about cover up. It's not a cover up. It's just that they didn't know how to handle the situation. And there was a lot of back and forth. And you can see that the, some of the search could have been started much earlier if the information had been released at the proper time. Yeah. I don't think, yeah, I still don't think it would have affected the search, but it sure would have made things, gosh, a little bit easier had they been forthcoming with a lot of that information. Yeah, so again, that's a James Bond plot, right? Is uh, 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 hijacked submarines like in, in The Spy Who Loved Me or, you know, the hijacking missiles in For Your Eyes Only. This is the conspiracy theories we're going to get as long as we don't find that plane. So I really hope we can find it. Uh, moving on to. <laughs> Sadly, uh, a series of accidents that you've witnessed. Uh, I mean, you witnessed them personally, obviously. Yeah, no, that would I mean, be that would be weird. I'd start to question my place in this universe if I'd seen all three of these. But there have been in the last, well, just basically in March, there have been a series of these weird, spe- quite spectacular, but but non fatal accidents in the airline world. We've had three. There was a, the uh, SpiceJet Dash Eight. Uh, in Hubli, which uh, went off the runway. No one was injured. And then in uh, New York, a Delta yeah, LaGuardia, uh, LaGuardia uh, and MD-88 went off the runway in this terrible weather that the East Coast has been having. A few minor injuries, nothing, nothing, no deaths, uh, mercifully. And 
it kind of went up against the sea wall. So if that had a little bit more juice on that plane, then gosh, yeah, I think this would have been a lot scary, worse. Yeah. But everyone was okay, thank goodness, there. And then finally, in in Kathmandu, in Nepal, a Turkish A330 skidded off the runway and the nose gear collapsed. And that closed Kathmandu Airport for three days before wow. they – because they, they weren't exactly equipped to get an A380 – or pardon me, A330 off of the runway. So <laughs> it just sat there. Again, nobody – badly hurt, uh, which is a miraculous in and of itself, but <laughs> really strange. I don't think this is a reflection of overall aviation safety. I just think it's, uh, you know, it's a strange series of events that we shouldn't read too much into. Yeah, it's bad luck. It, uh, I think 2014 was actually the safest year on the record for the airline industry, uh, civil aviation, even though we know the two big stories about the two, sadly, Malaysian airlines uh, had been grabbing the headlines. It was very safe, actually. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And I think um, IATA just came out with a report on safety yesterday and called it a year of contrasts, which is probably about right in terms of airline safety. I would say that there was one article that uh, drew, my, drew my attention. It's on the Runway Girl Network. It's a pretty cool website that I'm, I'm reading uh, about aviation and the passenger experience. And one, of this, one thing they said, uh, linking not all the three, but some of these accidents with... Uh, Arizona to uh, to four, 14 was it the one that crashed in San Francisco you remember yes uh, they said that every of these occurrences because now you know people are escaping the plane uh, most of them unhurt but they're taking pictures and etc cetera, etc cetera. and you see one thing and they, uh, that's what the the article said uh, the worrisome trend is that people are taking their luggages with them oh, I know yeah Asiana was a was a bad one for that there were pictures of people with their hand luggage and it's like the biggest no-no and in any accident situation, just get off the plane, get away from that gigantic fuel tank that you're sitting on top of. Yeah, even even just turning back to take a picture is a bad idea. Itself. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely crazy. It's 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 insane. Uh, by the way, do you have any favorite scene of James Bond taking back control of a plane? Oh, oh no, I don't know off the top of my head. <laughs> Actually, my favorite scene of in an aircraft in an airplane is on the leaving daylights, and it's not a. A movie that a lot of people love. It's one of my favorites, actually, and it's uh, when Timothy Dal Dalton, so James Bond, is fighting a baddie at the back of uh, Hercules C-130, and I, he tries to then, you know, to get rid of the baddie and take back control back of the plane. I really love that that scene. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I love my James Bond, and this is 007. I just had to. Um, uh, moving on to uh, very shortly, a brief piece of news. I think I mentioned. The plane already, uh, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, and I wrote an article about it. It's Solar Impulse 2. So it's yeah. the, uh, this massive wing, basically, filled with solar cells uh, that has just started uh, its flight around the world. It's, so it's a, the first ever, they are attempting to do the first ever around-the-world trip, trip without any fuels, only on, 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 on solar cells. Uh, it, it's something that's pretty pretty cool, I think, right? Yeah. Absolutely amazing. In fact, it's just uh, coming into Karachi now after a flawless flight from from Dubai to Oman yesterday. Uh, yeah, you can you can you can follow uh, on SolarImpulse.com. Although the website was down many times, there's so many people trying connecting. So on Twitter, uh, for uh, Solar Impulse uh, at Solar Impulse is the account, and 
Uh, I'll put also in the show notes, there's a, a live feed on YouTube. You can constantly see what's happening. So maybe you want that as a background because, you know, most of the time it's just two, two guys piloting a plane, but it's pretty, pretty cool. I think the, the challenge is really nice here. We're clearly far off from having an A380 just using uh, solar power, but uh, it's, uh, it's the way we're going with flying. We have to do, keep doing these innovations. And absolutely. I think this, 100% us, agree with you. It makes us dream as well. So yeah, Godspeed. It's to very inspiring. Very inspiring. Um, so Bond uh, flew many times a 747, which is Alex and my favorite plane. The last time was in was in Quantum of Solace in 2008, and it was actually in Virgin Atlantic, but we'll come to that later when we're going to talk about James Bond. But he never flew Qantas. No, he didn't. And Qantas have just retired their very first 747-400 in a really quite emotional, rather sweet way. They flew it to – they donated it to a museum, which is wonderful in and of itself. Uh, they should get massive kudos for that. And they they flew it to this uh, to this museum, uh, and they had this a huge huge welcome from from all of, uh, all of these people that you know probably aren't hugely uh, aviation nerds like we are, but the the pictures are wonderful. The video is spectacular of this plane landing on a on a very short runway, and I think that they had to. It was like a twenty four minute flight from from Sydney Airport, and they. They donated it to the Historical Aircraft Restoration Society, and it will be the only, I didn't know this, the only 747-400 in the world on public display. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, wow. which is which is great. So for, for if, you, if you're ever at uh, Illawarra, which is not, not too far from Sydney, it's, it's definitely going to be worth checking out. And there was a rumor going around that it was really sad because they they landed at this on this short runway and they'd never be able to take off again it would be physically impossible for this plane to ever leave again which is quite a nice story but it turns out even Qantas came out and said yes that's kind of not true if we took all the seats out of the airplane we could get this bird in the air no, i'm sure uh, i read there was they'd a, find a way yeah, exactly i'm mean, come on uh, it's true that the, the runway was only I think eighteen hundred uh, meters uh, long or short because it's really a short runway, and I think what they did they they really they landed. I mean I'll put there's a few videos. There's even a, co- um, uh, a view from the cockpit for the landing. It's really cool. Amazing. Uh, they uh, I think they they landed at an approach speed that was uh, much slower than the usual approach speed for a 747 and they also pumped down the tires yes in order yeah right yeah very i mean it's it must have been a fun project for everybody involved in this to try and figure out the logistics of getting a plane this size and there's a wonderful picture that we'll post on this in the show notes of this incongruously large 747 400 you know right up against like 35 year old Cessnas and Pipers and things like that. It's just really a wonderful picture in this tiny little regional airport there. That's that's now its home. Yeah, I'll definitely try to check it out next time in Australia, which hopefully will be soon. I don't know, guys, but I really hope so. Uh, still a uh, seven four seven. So another tidbit about James Bond. Actually, Bond flew once Lufthansa. And we know that... Wow, well, you are... really have your 007 trivia. This is yeah, really no, I, I really love James Bond. Uh, he, fl- he flew, uh, I think it was on Diamonds Forever. He flew to Amsterdam to LAX on a Lufthansa. It was not a 747. But we know that Lufthansa is the airline that is the most committed 
to the 747-8, so the newest version of the 747. Uh, Air China also has it, but the good thing, and this is good news for you, Alex, uh, Korean Air is introducing its 747-8 in London. You'll ah. be able to flow Seoul to London and London to Seoul. Uh, I think the, the, the flights will start in August, uh, the number will be KE907 uh, and 908. I'm sure. So that's one more chance for you, Alex, to fly. And it's from London. That's the that great news. Finally, like Paul and I have always lamented that for some reason, London doesn't seem to get the cool airplanes until ages after they launched. The Dreamliner was the exception. A lot of airlines deployed it. But they seem to have scaled back and added capacity, which is good for Heathrow, but bad for those of us that want to try all these neat new airplanes that are coming out. The 787 originally, the A350, the 748. So good, good. I am now going to Seoul this year because I want to fly on that airplane. <laughs> and, and the airport, Seoul Incheon, is a really, really, really good airport. It's one of the best in the world. One one piece of tidbit, and I'm sure we're going to read it about it in, in the design air because these guys, it's a website that they're very good at. Uh, talking about you know seats arrangements and the new products that are being laid out. Interestingly, uh, on on uh, Lufthansa, the seven four seven eight has uh, eight first class seats. Korean Air will only have six on the, for, in the same in the similar uh, uh, room uh, environment. And uh, the business class, which is in the upper deck, uh, Lufthansa has thirty two. And, and Korean Air will only have uh, 22. So that means that there will be a new product in that in that plane. Well, I'm very curious to see it. And probably the designer will find that information uh, for us. Uh, moving on to the innovation news of the week. You know, uh, it's the kind of the kind of news that we wouldn't have if uh, James Bond was wasn't here. Because you remember in uh, in the V2 a kill, uh, it's not the best Bond movie. But you remember the plot was let's destroy the Silicon Valley. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna make a controversial statement here, but Timothy Dalton was my favorite Bond. You know what? Me too. God See, damn thank it. you. You're the only person in the world that agrees with me. Every, I, no one liked him. I liked him. I thought he was. I, maybe it's because he was the Bond I grew up with. But you know, okay, Daniel Craig's pretty kick-ass. But I but, agree. But Timothy yeah. Dalton, there was something about him that just I was like, yep, I get it. You're you're a good Bond. I, I, I you know what? I totally agree with you. Uh, so yeah, so the the new the, the first piece of innovation before we get lost in, in bond quotes and, and stuff and, and stories of our youth, Sita um, uh, has just released a report, another report. We're talking reports today, right? Uh, called the future is personal. Uh, it's pretty interesting. So obviously, it comes from a company, but it goes into a lot of the trends. They they do a lot of surveys in airports, airlines. Etc. And looking at the trends where the investment is going through innovation, uh, and one the, the one bit that I really uh, really like uh, liked it first. Do you use any uh, airline and or airport apps, Alex? I use lots of airline apps. I don't think I've ever used an airport app. They 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 say something that is very that that has been. I mean, it's an evidence, but it's been the the limiting factor for me using airline airline apps is that. 
a lot of the times it's very good for booking and having, for instance, your boarding pass, right? Uh, Lufthansa, mm -hmm. for instance, is one that's very good. But it's, they're not always very good at giving you real-time information. So if there's a gate change or if there's a delay, what I want and what most people want, and this is what the report is actually uh, stressing, is that this information should be live on your phone immediately. I mean, I default most of the time to the screens in the airport. I'm like, okay, where's the gate actually? Okay, there it is. Because I, I still do not trust that uh, the, the app will give me uh, uh, a real-time information. And, I th and they say this is one of the biggest hindrance of the adoption of uh, airline apps and also to a certain extent airport apps. And I believe that's, I mean, it's, it's an evidence, but it's something that's really need to be, to be worked because I, even someone like me, very savvy, I'm limited by it. Yeah, I, I am frustrated that I have to have so many airline apps simply to just get my boarding pass. The rest of it is all peripheral garbage as far as I'm concerned. Like I think if you if you were able to look at <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I mean, if you were look at able to look at the analytics of my use of airline apps, it would be give me my boarding pass and then leave me the hell alone. I, I haven't but I think that I'm not a normal user. I I did a little in uh, off the cuff poll on Twitter saying, have you ever booked a flight using an airline app? And the response was overwhelmingly, yes, people do. Oh, but okay. that kind of freaks me out a little bit. Um, <laughs> you know, I, uh, I, I would consider myself a bit of a power user. But yeah, I whatever they can do to solve this, this disparity and this kind of distribution of, of information across multiple apps, multiple platforms, and either looking down at my app or looking at an information display screen, neither of which have any relation to each other or any relevance directly to me, uh, is, gosh, I mean, I, I hope they're able to do it. I think it's a big thing. But if anybody is in the position right to do it, it's CETA, who owns so much of the infrastructure of airports and airlines. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. Uh, uh, the one, the, the other, the one thing, a uh, uh, bit of information is uh, another evidence, but they say that, nowadays that um, 97 of the passengers carry some sort of uh, electronic device, either a smartphone, tablet, laptop, on all three at times. I guess you're an all three guy or maybe two because I don't think you use your tablet, right? Not too much. Yeah, all right. Uh, me too. I have a tablet, but I don't always take it. So meaning that the way you just said about that relevant information for yourself, which is the title of this report, The Future is Personal, should be there. It's still not there. I mean, I still do not have to rely... I mean... I still sometimes I'm not sure that the information I'm getting on my phone is right. And I still want to che double check yes. on the screen. And yeah, that's, that's an interesting trust thing, isn't it? That's an interesting yeah. trust thing that you assume that the airport is going to be right and the app might not be. I think we've learned from TripIt that it can be the other way around. Correct. But, but TripIt is an outlier in that because they have been around for so long and are so good. Yeah. Uh, a few more things here is that it's interesting to see that the high – the. Uh, where the airlines, they did a, a kind of ranking where are the airlines performing the best and the airlines performing the worst in terms of technology. In terms of performing the lowest is the wireless uh, IFEE, though there's a lot of improvement is expected. It's a live TV installations. It's interesting. It's a big trend. Live TV is a, is a major trend that uh, I've never, I, I, I think I just watched once the World Cup uh, on Emirates, but never watched live TV. But apparently it's something a lot of people request. Yeah. And, uh, and, 
The travel disruption prevention. I think this is something that airlines do not perform very well at telling you exactly what I said, what, what you should, you know, what are the contingency plans you can have. Uh, where they perform best is the mobile boarding passes, exactly what you want, uh, like you said. In terms of airports where they perform lo lowest, it's again disruption prevention. Yep. So you can see that the areas where most people complain, which is like my flight has been canceled, my flight is delayed, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, are those still the ways, the the the, the areas where, all, although some investment has been done, is not pushing enough? No. And it's this and that's clear correlation. They perform uh, obviously best uh, airports on real time information. Those screens, yeah. you see, they own it. They own it. Yeah. They have to be good at that. Yeah, and uh, but it's 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 uh, it's, uh, it's interesting. The uh, little thing here, the uh, that that I read in a kind of related way. I don't know another come on another James Bond tidbit. And the world is not enough. Uh, James Bond has these uh, eyeglasses that do X-ray stuff, and obviously this is one of the trends we see in innovation. Is that the most of the stuff you see in all the James Bond movies are now actually real. Real, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so Sita uh, again, the uh, president of a uh, the a APAC region, uh, said something I didn't know because we, we mentioned that Virgin Atlantic had been trying uh, Google Glass, had been trying smartphones, etc., had been trying a lot of stuff at Ethrow, and he said that out of all the the attempts they've made, Google Glass was the most successful. And I quote, wow. the, the universal symbol for I'm bored with you is either to look at your watch or look at your phone. And actually having a, a pair of a glass for the, the, the staff means that he, can, he or she can still look you in the All eye. Right. And that's, that's proven very, uh, uh, very. So it could, that's one future for Google Glass or whoever else does this. It's pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, Another thing that we sometimes I'm united as uh, on uh, on its app as an integration with uh, Uber, and you wanted to mention something about Uber here. Yeah, just uh, just quickly as we as we dip through this. So Uber have had some battles all over the world about the legality or the questionable legality of the service, and really it's it's the technical legality I think, and they've just had another. Uh, setback in Japan, where in, in in Fukuoka the ride sharing component, which was called Everyone's Uber, has been deemed illegal because it was allowing drivers to profit from taking someone from point A to point B without actually having a taxi license. So they've they've shut it down. They still have a presence in Tokyo, but even there, and you'll know more about this than me, they're they're struggling a little bit because there is a huge marketplace and there are fifty thousand taxis in japan Bellevue, which is right? which is four times the amount of new in, uh, in new york so they and you know what and the door uh, the back door opens, opens automatically. yeah and it's awesome <laughs> I, I think so there are the local taxi operators are so powerful there that they have their own apps um and japan i mean this is a generalization they they usually innovate from within that's where the success seems to come from it's rarely imported and i think Uber have struggled. And actually, when, while we were filming Attaché in Barcelona, we learned that Uber is illegal in Spain. And now they've pivoted to do this food delivery service, which uh, didn't actually work when we tried it. So, they, you know, they're, they're, they're good at plan B, but, you know, another another setback for Uber. Yeah, uh, they, they have a lot of money in the coffee. And I remember yeah, having... Yeah, they don't need to worry about it too much. <laughs> I remember having dinner with uh, Travis Kalakanik, the founder of Uber. I think it was in Paris in 2011, probably. You know, he was asking me about Asia. And I told him that, you know, 
Tokyo and Japan in general will be a tough uh, nut to crack because of what you said. There's already so so many taxis, and the quality of the taxis are also very good. Yeah, and there's a maybe less incentive for people to use limo, but. They are in Tokyo. They're very limited service, actually. You can find Ubers, and you'll see when you get there, Alex, uh, you, you have only a very limited uh, areas of Tokyo because it's this huge city when you can actually get access to Uber. And the, the other thing is that, like you just mentioned, in terms of the local competition, Line, which is a messaging app, has just launched Line Taxi. So oh, it's a wow. taxi-hailing service. And they've done what they've done is they've um, done a partnership with... Uh, Nihon Katsu, which is one of the largest uh, taxi operator, uh, it has 23,000 cabs, uh, which is so it's the nation's largest groups uh, of, of, of taxi operations. So obviously, and so within that app that is already very popular in Japan for communication, you can actually directly hail a cab. So, and, that's, and they are present in 90 cities. Wow. Yeah, see, right? that's, that's an uphill battle there, really, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But anyway, well, it's, you know, I, I wish them best. I think Uber is still an interesting, uh, an interesting model. And I just mentioned earlier that it was integrated in, in United's um, airline app, for instance, because that's part of the, you know, the user experience. You leave the airport, uh, I mean, you arrive at the airport and immediately you can hail uh, Uber. I mean, there's kind of the, the, old, the old passenger journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's an interesting, and I think Uber can be part of it uh, for some airlines. It's, it's an interesting, it's an yeah, interesting. Yeah, they'll uh, have to just come at it at a different angle, which is what they've been good at. Uh, so keeping keeping in in uh, in in Japan, uh, so ANA uses uses lines so to communicate with uh, with its uh, 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 passengers and customers. Uh, we 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 saw that in episode uh, 005, uh That's another James. Well, no, it's not. <laughs> that uh, China Eastern was trying. You remember uh, doing this app with a chatbot, so you can actually ask yes. request stuff. So which is it was a little bit out there. But the reason I mentioned China Eastern is that Sky Team has been doing a lot of uh, do things, and uh, they they're very they're going very heavily into these messaging apps that were that uh, we just mentioned. So Line uh, being one, uh, WeChat being the other. So um, WeChat uh, Air France is now on WeChat only for these uh, uh, Chinese customers. It's a Chinese um, it's a Chinese account, and Sky Team itself so the group the alliance has just opened its own wechat account as well and people can ask directly for the schedules the connections etc so it's 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 an interesting way because if you don't know wechat uh or even line it's way more than simply whatsapp and i say simply whatsapp whatsapp is this it's just a one-to-one communication channel these are closer to something like maybe you know facebook it's no it's very hard to compare so they offer a lot of services and still in uh, for sky team you know transavia which is the um the uh, low-cost uh airline from the the klm uh air france group actually is trialing right now whatsapp in europe since we don't have wechat etc so do would you ever consider talking to an airline where we are whatsapp absolutely yeah you go where the audience is right and i think if we all prefer, at least I'm, me, I prefer being able to talk to somebody live, not on the phone. If I could message them uh, or chat to them online, great. That's a, I would love that. As long as it's actual full service. There are certain airlines out there, uh, Virgin Atlantic, oh, excuse me, uh, who <laughs> their, their chat staff can't actually help you with a specific reservation. It's only general questions, which is like, why bother? 
Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't think about that. I don't know for the for what Transavia does. I know that they've. It's, I think it's not twenty four seven. It's eight to ten, but it's seven days a week. So yeah, that's another step in the right direction. Step in the right direction. It's only for the Netherlands right now. But if if it's successful, they're gonna expand that. But I agree with you. There's so much time, you know, especially when you try to call nowadays uh, customer support, and it's not only limited to airlines and airports. It can be everything. You end up in this eternal loop of. Press one to do this. Press five to do that. Press star and, and stay press on hold dash for forty-five and, minutes. Yeah, and and you don't get. You just want a simple answer. You say, "What is the?" You know, it could be about the gate change. It could be something very simple, and that could cut the time a lot. If I could use an app, just a chat app, and just ask a question, and having someone. And you know what? Even if it's a robot answering me, I wouldn't notice. No, I just want the answer exactly. to my question, and that. I think in terms of customer support, it both helps us, you and me and other flyers, but it could also help the airlines into limiting the amount of time that you get an answer. You can, have, you can, you can automate a lot of this stuff. So Absolutely. I think it's pretty interesting. Absolutely. Pretty interesting. Um, moving on to, uh, oh, yeah, another. This is a bit uh, just interesting tidbit, more than a piece of actual innovation that's going to be implemented in a plane tomorrow. Uh, I the, hope. Uh, <laughs> Well, uh, let's start with a 007 tidbit. You, you just uh, asked me to, you challenged me on that. So, um, <laughs> in for for you, in for your eyes only, which is also a favorite of mine. Uh, you can remember there's um, there's this helicopter that can be uh, controlled with a radio, so with a remote control. And when you think about it nowadays, you have your own drone. So again, reality is calling back to uh, to James Bond. Here, though, and that's never never happened in James Bond is an entire plane uh, that can be, it's a jet actually, uh, that could be um, directed, piloted with your thoughts. Amazing. What do you think about Amazing. It? I mean, it's the future really, isn't it? There have been so much, uh, so much investment and thought and research into mind control, but these, these, they've, they've done it. They've actually done it. I know it's in a simulator, but it's a it's a full training simulator that they've done this this experiment in, and this this lady is quadriplegic, paraplegic, yeah, ex exactly fully handicapped. Like it was yeah. amazing. Yeah, so she has no actual possibility to use her, 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 her limbs to do to any kind of movement. So she can control uh, and what was it? It was an F thirty five. F thirty five. So an ex extremely advanced airplane. This this is amazing. Uh, do you do you remember that movie with Clint Eastwood called Firefox? Yeah. yeah! Wow! What an obscure movie. <laughs> yeah, but that's exactly that, you know, thinking in the movie. But again, I don't know if it's going to have any kind of implementation in civil aviation in the future. But I think this is also something pretty. It, it looks like science. I mean, man, we're living in science fiction oh, nowadays. It's, so cool. it's, it's just, it's just, it's just incredible. Yeah. Um, another so something that's going to be a very easy one. Talking about James Bond for that, the next piece of news you want to introduce because tracking has been something that is present in every single James Bond movie. So I could go on forever about what you... I'm going to just... One example, I don't know, the man with a golden gun, uh, you know, the, the vehicle can be tracked. And that was at the time like, how oh, wow, you're tracking a vehicle. Come Science on, now we fiction. all can be tracked with our phones. So tracking, coming back to a plane that disappears. Yeah, so, so last, last story in this, in this section is about a new uh, and very timely technology that Rockwell Collins is rolling out that is global airliner tracking. So they've built a system to track 
continuously track global airliners or airliners around the globe. And instead of trying to reinvent the wheel, they've, they've approached it really sensibly. They're taking a whole bunch of different data and layering it on top of each other and sort of doing some, some, weight, some balancing and some kind of weighting towards certain types of data because some are coming every second, some are coming every 30 minutes, and building up a very accurate picture of where an airplane is at all times in the most reliable way possible. And so they're taking things like you know, the high-frequency data link, performance data from engines, the uh, ACARS, which is the, the internal reporting and messaging system that it's usually used between the aircraft and the air, aircraft's dispatch uh, control system. Uh, and they did this, uh, they're releasing it in, in the next six months, which is extremely fast considering they only bought the, this company back in 2013. So hopefully this will help if anything, uh, God forbid, like the Malaysian airliner thing happens again in the future, that we will have a little bit more of a, of a varied tool set, if you will, to find them quicker. Wow, that's that's it's very yeah, cool. Can, very cool. Yeah, can hope that. I mean, that's that's the other thing with technology. The price falls down, and probably these technologies that used to cost a lot of money, yeah, uh, cost less. And at some point, we'll find something that actually worth their while for well, airlines. That's what they're saying. Is that, that one of the selling points here is that it's it's really scalable and it's very cheap because it's built on existing technologies that are already. And this is the key technology that is already built into airplanes planes yeah so it's not a question like we talked about last week where you have to reverse engineer all of these ancient airplanes most of them are already using this stuff anyway very smart very yeah. elegant solution yeah i agree uh, in 1983, in Octopus, <laughs> <laughs> there was one thing. I mean, this is it's an okay movie. It's a cool movie. But there's one thing that I really remember as a kid that was really impressive. It was James Bond has a Seiko watch where you can watch TV. There was like a camera on it and you can actually uh, follow what happened. And so the app of the week this weekend, and we're taking a little bit of leap of faith here because it's not, first of all, it's not an app. Second of all, it's not, it hasn't been released yet. So a lot of people might complain that we're, uh, we're drinking the Kool-Aid. But we decided to do the app of the week to be the Apple Watch. Yeah. Will you buy an Apple Watch? Uh, it's one of those things where like, yeah, I think, I think I'll wait. I think they're cool. Uh, and then I'll walk into an Apple store in next month and I'll go, oh, what just happened? I'm wearing an Apple Watch. <laughs> So to be fair, there are already a lot of, of smartwatches. We, you and me have seen a lot in uh, last week in Barcelona for Mobile World Congress. The reason that Apple might be uh, is, I mean, for us, maybe the app of the week, I mean, the gadget of the week or something, is that it's probably going to push the envelope and push a lot of adoption. So we're not saying it's going to be much better. Maybe not. We haven't tried it than, uh, than uh, current Android-based uh, smartwatches. But... I'm pretty sure there's a lot of stuff going to happen. The, I don't know if you've seen the keynote, but during the keynote, there was a lot of displays of demos and stuff that happened. And there are some apps related to travel and airlines that are, be, will be released upon uh, up when the device ships. The device will be shipped on April 24th. It will be on display starting April 10th for those who want to go in an Apple store to check it out. So there's um, American Airlines uh, is, is, has developed an app for the Apple Watch. And, you know, you'll get a notification when it's time to leave for the airport. You'll get that real-time info I was talking earlier about, like a gate change, etc. You'll be able to check in with your watch. Uh, during the flight, and that's actually something that's pretty, pretty fun. During the flight, you'll have a map 
with the remaining time of your flight. And uh, upon arrival, you'll have the details. That's cool. The baggage, the baggage claim, um, you know, the belt, where it is, and the connect or the connection details. And I think, I mean, most of these stuff can exist already on an iPhone app or an, an Android an, an app. I'm not saying, but having a a, 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 a subset of these on your on your wrist can be pretty cool. Actually, Absolutely, you know? it's it's timely at a glance information. You don't have to pull your phone out uh, and get yelled at by the flight attendant. I think it's I think it's cool. I think it's it's great, and I think a lot of Airlines and travel brands have seen the potential and have, instead of just building out me, a bunch of Me Too apps, they've actually built some very cool stuff. Um, Starwood, I don't know if you've seen this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Starwood allow their app, their their uh, their Apple Watch app. I keep wanting to say iWatch. I need to work on that. Their <laughs> Apple Watch app actually works as your hotel room key. That's awesome. So just proximity, like you're there and it unlocks. That's cool. That's a very nice, elegant application of the device as opposed to you know i can't think of anything silly but i'm sure there are going to be a lot of silly apps and you know no, but there's others city mapper i mean this uh, i mean you probably use city mapper great, it's such yeah, a great, great app, app for public transport will have uh, directions on your on your wrist TripAdvisor will tell you what's best nearby open table will tell you how to get to your next reservation i mean these are and these are uh, uber is actually will have an app like you know the estimated time of arrival to your car uh, so, again, these are, of course, only the first steps, and we'll see tons and tons. But I think it's interesting to, to see, like, the subset that will be created on your wrist. Um, will we be able to use Passbook? So I've seen, if you look at the, if you look at the keynote, you can see Passbook. I'm wondering if the, 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 the QR code is big enough. And the worst of it, I'm wondering, what will be the proper way to turn around your wrist to make it work on the... QR code reader. Yeah, that would be cool, wouldn't it? Because they need to look at the name, don't they? They need to. You can you can get through certain points, but I think they need to look at the name. But that would be cool. That would be very yeah. cool. I'm excited. I'm excited to see how this changes travel. Yeah, and you'll be will. you'll be you'll be in the US. You'll you'll have. A yeah, I'm pretty sure it, I'm yeah. gonna come back. Are you, are you gonna are you gonna are you gonna play Oracle Finger and get the gold one? <laughs> nah, right. <laughs> yeah, just drop my ten thousand bucks on there. Yeah, or whatever it is, something obscene like that. Uh, the topic of the week is a funny one. We're not going to go for too long. It's talking about James Bond and the uh, you know his relation with aircraft movies, um, uh, the aircraft movies, the airplanes and the airports and etc. So we're just going to do a few minutes about that because there's a lot of stuff. But you see, I'm going to start with one example to see that to to show you that the uh, James Bond influence is beyond the movie and beyond even we're talking 1973. It was I think. Lot so the com the Polish company uh, the or the Polish airline that still exists today, which was be behind the, you know the, the curtain wall, so behind it was it was a communist country. They knew about James Bond obviously because when they introduced their first flight, uh, the transatlantic from Warsaw to New York JFK, it was supposed to be LO001 and LO002 the back the the return flight. Uh, but because uh, Live and Let Die was playing in the cinema, they called it LO006 and LO007. Ah. <laughs> so you see, even back then, in even when Europe was divided in two, James Bond had this huge influence. That's, that's pretty cool, actually. That is cool. Story. That is cool. But, and there's, uh, you found this wonderful list on Wikipedia, which is a list of every James Bond vehicle ever. And it has 
cars, which everybody knows about, all of the the wonderful Aston Martins, etc., etc., and trains. But there is an extremely long list of all of the aircraft that have been uh, that have appeared, who flew them, what they were, and there's some absolute gems in here. Like a Boeing 377 Stratocruiser, which is one of the most unique airplanes I've ever seen, like you'll ever see in your life. Yeah. Um, the blimp in uh, A View to a Kill. Yeah. Why is that View to a Kill? <laughs> it's just like all over the place. It's such a great do, list. Do, do, do you have one favorite or? Uh, air, air, airplane that has appeared in, in James Bond? Yeah, or well, airplane or a craft or scene or whatever. Because there's a, for instance, you. Everybody, when they talk about, you know, the James Bond in the air, they think about you only live twice. Do you remember that little, there was little Nelly. It's even on the posters. It's a little helicopter kind of thingy that's, that was very, uh, it's a gyroplane. Yes. So it's, it's like a mix between a helicopter and a plane. And that was, that's one that everybody talks about. Is it one that, that you would have loved to fly once? I think it was, it was destroyed uh, on an accident by the guy who was doing... A, he was both the stuntman on on the the, the James Bond uh, movie, but he also did a lot of, of shows with it, and he destroyed it completely. But is that a point where you have which which before? movie was it in? Uh, the you only live twice is the one that happens in Japan. Yes, uh, yeah. So those gyroplanes are look look so much fun. In fact, where I used to live in California, there's the Hiller Aviation Museum, and Hiller was a pioneer in gyroplanes, personal helicopters. Um, Vestal platforms and so there's this whole museum full of things like this and you just look at them and go god damn those look fun <laughs> but you're right yeah. he crashed it I mean the guy that he walked away unhurt but they weren't exactly the safest things in the world no they were absolutely not and the other for me as a kid that I remember because it was again Octopussy 1983 it was I was old enough to remember is the opening scene where there was the world's smallest jet aircraft oh the Acrostar that the thing that was you know very small and the the stunt was really impressive because the stunt the the, the plane goes within an hangar which doors are being closed that for me is uh, i mean it it still remains this way maybe i was you know was what was in 83 it must have been what seven eight it it was one of the scenes that really struck mike like wow holy cow and apparently it was a very difficult stunt to achieve i would imagine i would imagine (laughs) but there's like there's so many great airplanes that they use they even use so these concord uh in moonraker and then they yeah use, he flew the concord flew, to, to air, air france not be yeah. air france because it was going to rio they used uh a space shuttle there's the shot of the 747 space shuttle carrier uh, i i sorry to hold on to, uh, yeah to interrupt you here because uh i was in the u.s as a kid my first visit 1980 uh in florida and I've actually seen that plane landing with a shuttle on oh, top of wow. it. I would, yeah, I, I would, this is one of my fondest memories. The car stopped on the highway. Everybody was stopping, and my dad was like, what the hell is going on? And everybody was watching over because we were, in, we were going to Cap Canaveral, so we want to visit, you know. And uh, it was landing with the 747, the space shuttle was landing. I will always remember that. I don't have any pictures because back then you didn't have an iPhone. You just grab something. But, <laughs> That's one of my fondest memories. So sorry, go on. That's so cool. That's so cool. Uh, the other thing, so he flew. Interestingly enough, uh, we have in terms of civil aviation, uh, we haven't seen a lot of of, of civil aircrafts in the in the in the, in the, the movie. But you would assume that James Bond would fly 
pretty sure. Well, right? that's the funny thing, isn't it? Here's I'm not a, nearly as up on my Bond trivia as you are, but here's one. Um, you're right. In one of the recent, more recent movies, he flies on uh, on Virgin, and Richard Branson has a cameo. Yeah, when, that's a Qu- Qu- uh, Quantum of Solace. When they aired that on British Airways flights, that whole segment is edited out. No way! Did you yep. know that? Yep. <laughs> oh wow! I mean, I love British Airways, but that's childish, you know. It's so, <laughs> so yeah. So it, actually, there was a lot, a lot of promotion for that 2008 movie. There was even a drink that was invi- invented uh, and served on Virgin Atlantic. So uh, because you can see Daniel Craig being in the upper class, I've never flown Virgin. You you did so, and you can see he's being served that drink. You could actually order that drink. But I really didn't know about yep. that BA story. That's uh, because he um, he flew BA though. Uh, I know he flew a seven four seven from uh, London to Hong Kong and died another day. And another tidbit of story: he's in first class. Well, obviously he's James Bond, and. <laughs> He's being served a vodka martini, as usual, again. But behold, the actress displaying the flight attendant is the actual daughter of Roger Moore. Really? Yes, in, that, in, in Die Another Day. That's so, a nice so, little... Uh, that's yeah, a nice so, little... I think he flew for the first time BA uh, in only 1995 when he goes to um, St. Petersburg. Seems like All a missed th- opportunity for BA, doesn't it? Yeah, though the, the, there are some signs of, I mean, you probably know that because you're a, you're also British. Uh, B O A C. Yes. Uh, yeah, there are signs of better B-O-A-C. on a camel. I believe is what it stands for. <laughs> I didn't know. That. I didn't know that. Wow. Oh well, uh, there are signs in the earlier movies. I think in Doctor No, even even though Doctor No, the first airline we ever see is Pan Am. Which for all of us is one of these legendary airlines it's disappeared, but you know the logo and the bags and everything. I mean, well, anyway, we could go on forever and ever. The one last uh, is you know uh, cannot not mention Goldfinger because it's almost for everyone their favorites. Uh, where Auric Goldfinger travels from the UK from London to Geneva, uh, the actual airport you see in the movie at the beginning when he when he, he starts his journey is London Southend. Ah, interesting. Yeah, which now is an airport. I mean, uh, of course, the definition of being it being in London is a bit stretched. Yeah, there's a few of those where it's like <laughs> they're nowhere near. And actually, I just read an interesting trip report on airliners.net, which I'll post in the show notes, about a guy that took a, took a flight from uh, from London Southend to somewhere in Switzerland. I can't remember where. But it looked like a very, very nice little airport. I've never been there. Neither have I. I've got no reason to go there, but I think it's it serves a, a, a large port of part of the UK. So I think uh, I might have to go check it out. Yeah, I will too as well. Uh, going to the the question of the week. So this is a question I invented myself because we were going to James Bond today. Uh, in Goldfinger again, when uh, I, uh, when Ari Goldfinger, so this huge, very rich, you know, baddie, James Bond baddie. He uses this, he's, he has a private jet. A private jet, I think, is Lockheed, the jet star, I think it was. Uh, and, you know, for, for the times, he was like, wow, this guy has this private jet. And so I wanted to ask the question, who owns a private 747? <laughs> it's, a, it's a great question. And there are, uh, I don't, there's not a straight answer, is there? Because No, no, exactly. There's a, well, so what did you find? Well, there's, there's a few private properly private vip 747s and they're owned 
almost without exception by uh, heads of state or princes. So it kind of already blurs the line between Correct. what's private and what's state funded. But there is, uh, there, there are a few. There's, there's a, the Sultan of Brunei has a 747-400. And again, right. is that like Air Force One or is it, I don't, I don't know. It's difficult to say. Well, I mean, if you look at, if you look at the interior of that plane, because there are some pictures online, you know, I think the, the, the retrofit, just for the interior was a more than a north of a hundred million dollars and there was like there's gold and there it's really you can see that's more for the is it the state yeah but it's more like a private jet yes yeah absolutely and i think so there's and there's uh is there prince al-walid yeah, he's the one we mentioned. You you, mentioned, has, you found that news that he canceled that A380. The A380 order, yeah. yeah, yeah. But rocked but up has in his, his own 400, right. <laughs> but he has also his own uh, 400. And I think this uh, this with the one of the Sultan Brunei, these are the, the two most expensive in terms of retrofit. They're also, the, the planes, both of them cost north of 200, 220 million. And these are like just crazy. I mean, the, in the Al-Wali uh, bin Talala's, this, yeah, there's a picture of uh, this 14 dining set table. I mean, <laughs> it's just insane. <laughs> no swimming pool then. Uh, did you find it? Didn't you find any other uh, private? I uh, did. In uh, fact, one of the things that I love, one of my favorite airplanes, versions of my favorite airplanes, is the 747 SP. Correct. Uh, well, well, maybe we'll do a segment on that in the next couple of weeks. It's a great airplane for so many reasons, but there were a lot of them that found life after their very limited commercial life as a, uh, a, a private jet. And the Las Vegas Sands Group, which own a bunch of hotel uh, casinos in, in uh, Vegas, use one to ferry in their ultra-high rollers from all over the world. You can find it in the Middle East, in Southeast Asia, flying people into Las Vegas to go and spend tons of money. There is a guy that owns an electronics store or chain of electronics stores in, in the Western United States called Fry's Electronics, which is the most amazing place. He has his own 747 SP. Um there is a doesn't, th- doesn't the NHL has one? I think the NHL has one, right? I don't. I, I'm uh, not sure. I'm not sure. But there's a 93 year old uh, Christian evangelist minister called Ernest Angley who also has a Boeing 747 SP, weirdly called wow. the Star Triple Seven. Uh, even weirder, the it's registered in Aruba, so there's something not right there. Um, <laughs> I'm not suggesting he is involved in anything. Actually, you know what? There's all kinds of stuff in here about his Wikipedia article that suggests perhaps he is. And then, uh, the, so there's loads of 747 SPs, which I'm delighted because that means they're still flying. And then another one that I found, because I found it in person, I went uh, two years ago to the Boeing factory in Seattle, which if you ever get an opportunity to do, they do the most incredible tour of the, of the production line, which is something to see in itself. And there was a 747-8 coming off the line, almost completely finished in the final stages. And we said, oh, who's that one for? Because that one was for Lufthansa and that one. And they said, that one is for a private entity. Me, and she sort of said knowingly, uh-huh. meaning this is the very first 747-800 VIP the airplane. It's owned wow. by... By Joseph Lau, who is a Hong Kong-based real estate tycoon, and uh, he's also Asia's, Asia's Asia's wealthiest businessman. I thought that was Lee Ka-shing, but apparently it's not. 
Uh, and it is the most extraordinary thing I have ever seen in my life. Inside, you, outside. Did, were you able to get inside? No, no. It was, it was uh, still oh, wow. uh, like having work done to it. So no, they don't. Because there are, there are a few pictures online of that one. And it seems much more understated. I mean, still luxurious, but a little bit slightly uh, more understated than the two ones we said earlier about the Sultan of Brunei and Prince uh, Al-Walid bin Talal, I think. But... Having your own 747-8, wow. This, mean, okay, so it has in it, this is all conjecture, but apparently it's been validated. It has an Andy Warhol portrait of Mao Zedong, a wine cellar holding more than 10,000 bottles. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. Now, whether that's he keeps good, that's on the good airplane, enough reason for me to get in just for the wine bottle. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if he keeps that on his airplane, but this is the kind of guy that we're we're talking about. I mean, it's 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 a beautiful airplane. It's a very tasteful color scheme. But but if you, if you look actually if you look at the back orders, there are between seven and eight uh, VIP versions of the seven four seven dash eight. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, there are rumors, obviously, that apparently the Qatar government, and again, this is where you said earlier the lines are blurry. Is it a government plane? Is it a private plane? The Qatar government has uh, one, I, I think it's in order. It's just, I think it received, no, it re they received it. Kuwait has one in order. Uh, but the others, I don't know. I was not able to track them down. I didn't have time unless you didn't want to just spend, because I'm sure if you go to airliners.net or uh, uh, you'll find people that track this I didn't, yeah. and get there. But there are some, this is one actually a cool market because when you think that, you know, Lufthansa has, uh, I think, 10 or 12. 747-8 and you see that there's already eight or nine uh, um, VIP version that's pretty cool good news for for um, for Boeing the other thing is that obviously you mentioned it yourself in a piece of news a few episodes ago Air Force One the new Air Force One will yeah. be as well a, a dash eight uh, I'm sure the retrofit will, there will be also very expensive and the other, I still wanted to mention, there are you can, if you if you ever fly to Heathrow, guys, uh, look at sometimes the window. There will be more often than not a seven four seven four hundred, which is called Dubai Air Wing, and it's also owned by the government of Dubai. So again, here the lines are blurry. Is it private or not? You can always see parked. So they, they must be very often at, uh, in Heathrow. I think they have many. If they don't have only one, they have a few. Uh, other, I mean, you also have the, the Oman Royal Flight also has a 747. So you have actually quite a few 747. And this is for Alex and me because we love that plane. This is maybe our only option. We have to make friends with these guys if we want to still fly this plane. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. We need to go and get buddy buddy with these guys that all have their own 7. Actually, so here you go. Well, we can end on this little piece here. If you want to own your own 747, I found one for sale. No way! A 1986 on one of my favorite websites, controller.com. A 1986 747-300 with only 86,000 miles on it or hours on it, not miles. That would be even that would be amazing. 86,000 <laughs> hours and 1600, 16,000 cycles. Got IFE in every seat. It's all economy. Uh, wow! Yours for the low, low price of 5.2 million dollars, which all things considered. It's not bad. It's got 460 seats, gently I'm, used. I'm going to find funding for that in the Silicon Valley or something. I'm just going to become a James Bond baddie and like <laughs> take someone ransom just to get that. Wow. Oh, wow. That's 
yeah. Uh, let's let's start a fun. You know, we'll, we'll do a Kickstarter well, campaign. Kickstarter Alex a... Layovers is buying a seven four seven. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great idea. Donate now. Uh, last bit of the show, Miami. So why Miami? Because you know we were thinking to do okay this is 007 episode we have to work with something that's related to to james bond that was kingston airport i think is the first ever and dr knows that's the first ever airport we see but we don't know anything about kingston airport in jamaica alex and i we already had done uh, london Heathrow as our first episode and then i thought you know what the biggest the act the only actual actual action scene within a movie that happens in an airport in any james bond movie is from casino royale in 2006 and it's at Miami, Miami Airport. Yep. But before before we go to Miami, tidbits. Actually, it was not filmed in Miami. It no, was filmed. <laughs> yeah. If you look, if you look at uh, at some point, you'll see a plane which has the name CSA, which is basically the Czech, uh, the Czech company. So the, the the filming, the runway filming, was done in Prague in the Vaclav Havel Airport. Uh, the airfield action. So at the do you see a plane that is completely you know, there's a fake name I think what's the name Skyfleet that's the name of uh, it's, it looks like a a seven four seven it's actually a seven four seven two hundred that piece of action was filmed in Surrey in the UK on an air, on an aerodrome <laughs> <laughs> and the and the rest uh, was actually filmed at Pinewood which is a very famous studio so. Almost nothing was a film uh, in in uh, in in Miami. The, the the really thing that that that's really fun is that the team had to convert the airport in Prague, Prague International uh, International uh, International Airport, to look like exactly an airport in Miami. So you figured like they have to plant palm trees and they had to change signs How and funny. stuff like that. This is amazing, right? And it's uh, and the interiors. Yeah, I want to finish that. The interiors of the airport, so the, which supposedly is Miami, it was partially also done in Nassau, in the Bahamas, in the airport. So anyway, nothing wow. is Miami. The reason why, maybe, is because, and I'm sorry for, for those of you who like that airport, it's a very so-so airport, Miami airport, isn't it? Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of Miami airport. It's The only good thing about it is that you do get a very diverse collection of airplanes and airlines going in there, uh, especially in the cargo areas. You get planes that are older than you and I combined coming in there right. doing all kinds of crazy stuff. So there's for, from a pure aviation geek, if you can get out to a point where you can see the, the ramp, there's some good stuff coming in there as a passenger. Ugh, not a fan of Miami airport. Not a fan. No, I, the, the, there's two reasons. I mean, first of all, if you go to Miami, I've been to Miami several times. It's true. It's not the layout. You know, it's one of those airports when you you think you see that they've been building after building after building, and it doesn't really make a lot of sense right. in itself, right? It's a lot just, like Heathrow. Uh, yeah, correct. Though Heathrow, since the uh, inception of Terminal 5 and now Terminal 2, starts to make a little bit more sense. I mean, it's the, the layout, if you just look on a map, the layout of Miami International Airport is a bit bizarre. There's uh, concourse D to J, but there's no concourse A, B, and C because of, you know, that's, and which is okay. You know, an airport lives and, you know, changes. So they had to build above all their concourses. So it all makes a little, it's not very, uh, very sense. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But the other reason why you go to Miami, it's because it's one of the main hub to go to Latin America. Yeah. Uh, you will transit there. Uh, and it's, I think, I think it's one of the biggest hub in terms of cargo for Latin America, actually, uh, Miami airport. And I'm sure it is. Interestingly, the, bu- the busiest, the busiest route from, uh, from Miami airport is to London. 
if you combine American Airlines, British Airways, and Virgin Atlantic, it's their busiest route. Didn't know that. Uh, That's interesting. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have thought. I that. wouldn't have known that either. And uh, the last thing I want to mention is, though it's a, this airport is a bit not very overwhelming. It's not an airport that you can be a fan of. I mean, guys, if you do not agree with us, please let us know in the comments because yeah, maybe yeah. we missed something. But I'll, I'll, be, I'll say something. They have actually uh, now implemented an entire iBeacon program in it. So it's one of the first oh, airports that wow. has a wide, all the, uh, I think most, if not all the concourses, all the terminals have iBeacons. So, and they provide that as a, as a platform, if you want, for anyone. Of course, we're talking near uh, app developers. It could be the airlines, could be the, uh, could be, uh, the airport itself to say, okay, look, you can make use of these little beacons to actually tell in, the, the way it works, I mean, you and me have seen that a little bit probably in, in, in uh, Mobile World Congress and other conferences, is that they, uh, they can tell you, push your notification very locally in a very specific point, uh, point uh, geolocation, yes. so it comes geofencing. So, I mean, they're doing that. I mean, we haven't seen any of this in most airports. So that's, that's you know, it helps. Offering that as a platform, I think it's pretty innovative and it's, it's pretty it's pretty good. So I mean, I would I would give you give them good notes, good grades for that. Yeah, I think and then you have free Wi Fi. Oh, which is I good. Didn't know that. Free airport. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's not too bad. Uh, but it is, yeah. It's 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 not a relaxing airport. I'll I'll, I'll just say uh, it's stressful. I agree, and it's not very beautiful as well in terms of design either. Nope. I mean, none of the let's be honest here, none of the American air, airports. I mean, rare are the American airports that really are give you a good impression in terms of design they're usually boxes yeah right? agreed yeah yeah so it's which is maybe we'll go there in one episode which is maybe also the, the, the way flying is seen in the u.s is, is more like taking the bus whereas in other countries is still this glamorous experience so you know if you take the bus you don't expect to have a five-star hotel right so no your your expectations are set pretty low <laughs> Anyway, anything else you wanted to say about miami no i think um honestly the best way to get out of that airport is to rent a car the the public transport infrastructure isn't great and okay yeah that's that's probably true, my best true. tip or, yeah, or, taxi, or cab. taxi yeah i would always take a cab i don't think i've ever done anything else with taking the cab yeah. then again it's that's the case for like 100 percent of the american airports have been yeah. too always take a cab. <laughs> true very true <laughs> anyway on that thank you so much again we run out uh we went over time again but this was a 007 episode we just had to do yeah that. loads of trivia cannot cannot do yeah. this episode without some awesome trivia yeah yeah so that's the only one who, that was our only shot we hope you guys liked it tell us in the comments uh layovers.2 you'll find all the information there and you know what they say james bond will return so layovers will return see you next week next week bye alex bye, bye guys on behalf of layovers and the entire crew we'd like to thank you for joining us on this podcast and we're looking forward to seeing you on board again next week flight attendants please prepare for landing